0: Um, so, last night, um, Koy and I went on, went on our date night, and as I was there telling him a little bit about my, um, yeah, chewies, it was super romantic, just kidding, it was good, we had a gift, we had a gift card, we had a gift card, so gift cards are usually, like, date night, you know, motivation, so, um, we were, we were there, and, and, and all, just, I was, like, telling him about the sermon, I have a sermon, and all this stuff, and, um, and great, and great husband support, he said, well, you know, the Cowboy game is at noon, and you've got the mic, so... Make it happen quick. So I said, "Well, honey, they're not my team. They're not. They're not my team, and I have the mic. So it's football season in our household, as you can tell." Um. So, anyways, um, today we're gonna talk about. We're gonna continue the series of um, this idea of friendship. And um, today I'm going to talk about um, friendship with God as it relates to um, part of that firm that, that first foundation piece of it um, is positivity. There's two other links to it. There's vulnerability and consistency, and those will be talked about in the weeks to come. Um, but I get the uh, the honor today on this day um, to talk about it um, that positivity um, experience with God. So when I thought about this topic, um, Charles gave us this TED talk with this speaker, and um, her name is Shasta uh, Nelson, and she is a speaker and a founder of this organization called GirlfriendsCircle.com, and so she says in, in part of her TED Talk that social research tells us that for relationships to stay healthy, there has to be a ratio of five positive interactions for every one negative interaction with, a num- with, a, with another person in order to make a positive foundation um, for a solid, um, healthy friendship relationship as you go on through the years. And so as I was listening to that, I was thinking about people I know and stories I've heard throughout the years, and I thought, I thought well, what if, someone, um, what if someone, what if someone, what if all someone has ever had was five bad interactions or more? And what if you, they've never even had, um, they've, they've either had those five, or what if they, it just it's a long, few, and far between five positive interactions? You know, what do we do? What do we do with that? Um... And so because I know that there's a lot of people who have very few and far between five positive interactions with God, people throw in the towel with God, their friendship, and they just want to become their own island. Because you see, it's our interactions that make or break relationships. I'll give you some examples in my own personal life. When I was in middle school... I went to a middle school where I um, had block get schedules, so there's like four classes a day for 90 minutes. Um, and there was a school of 100 kids, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. So by default, we all knew each other. Maybe we weren't all best friends, but we, were pretty, we pretty much knew about each other and all that. Um, we all knew one another, and people liked me. Um, I had a posse that would gather at every break we would have. I was an alpha. Not going to lie, y'all. Um, I, According to middle school I had, I had it all I had, I had I had the girl who had all the friends she could get I was the alpha um, I had an older boyfriend which was a big deal I had all of the like got milk things on my wall All the tiger beat, teen beat actors Right? Um, people looked up to me, My friends looked up to me, um, and I had freedom wherever I, whenever I wanted to go, I could go wherever I wanted to go because we lived overseas and I could just jump in a taxi and go wherever the heck I wanted to. I didn't have to be 16 to get in a car. So fast forward three, three years when I stepped, stepped into high school, I moved back to the States and I find myself and I'm standing in front of a cafeteria of like a sea of high school faces, probably like three or 400 kids. And I'm standing there with my tray, and there's not one welcoming face and not one warm feeling and people welcoming to their table. It's kind of like that um, uh, Forrest Gump scene on the bus, and like, seats taken, seats taken, you know, that's how it felt. And I said, I, so, I sat, I, so I stood in the sea and I said, would it really matter if I was gone? I mean, like, really gone. Would it matter? And so needless to say, that I had some high points, from my description, you might say I peaked in middle school, which I don't know how cool that is, but hey, it's fine, I'm, I'm accepting that, um, but I've had, but there's been some highs and lows in life, right, and that's just a little example, um, but Shasta, she uses this term called frentimacy and when I heard it, and even last week, it was kind of, I rolled my eyes, and it's really cheesy, like it is, it's a cheesy term, and yet, the more that I hear her say it and talk about it, she defines it in the thing that I feel like we all need—that all people want. She de- defines it as this: friendliness is a relationship where both parties feel seen in a safe and satisfying way. In my soul care, in my soul care ministry, I often see people who feel unseen by God, feel that God is not a safe place for them, or feel that they are not able to connect with God in a satisfying way. It's what we all want: seen. Safe and satisfying. It's what we all want. We all want those relationships built on positive interactions, and that desire is still the same even with God. And so today, what I want to do, if I can get my notes straight, which I can, um, I'm going to just do this. That's how we're going to do that. So today, I want to dig a little deeper into Job. And um, not from the lens of pain and suffering, as as I've heard it said and preached many a times, but I want to come at it from the lens of looking at Job, who could possibly be a guide for us to unpacking how we can connect with God in a safe and a seen and a satisfying way. Because I feel like Job in the Bible is a great example of that. So here's, let's talk about some things real quick. So Job's negative interactions from his support systems because we have to start there before we start how we see how Job is a guide to connect with God. Because he had some really negative interactions with his support system, right? So here's what Job got. Job got three, maybe four friends who were supposed to be his friend and his buddy along the way. And when Job kind of hits his down point, he goes from this like massive rich guy who had it all. He was the monopoly man to pretty much just a guy who was in the dust, right? And had lost it all. And so different friends come in, they see him, and to sum up what their their communication is to him of why this is happening to him, he's got a friend called Eliphaz, and Eliphaz basically says, hey, Job, if you can just admit your sin, then God, maybe God, would have mercy on you and restore it all back. If you just admit it, Job, you've got some kind of hidden sin in your life that has brought all this pain and suffering, so figure it out. Eliphaz says, Job, you're being targeted because you deserve it. Good friend. Good friend. Then we then we hear a lot from uh, Bildad throughout throughout the book of Job. Bildad says, "Hey, by the way, none of this is God's fault because He is good. It has to be yours, Job. It has to be yours because God is good." Then he's got a friend called Zophar. These sound like galaxy names. I don't know, but anyways, every time I read you, I'm like, who are these people? Anyways. Aliens, Star Wars, Star Trek, all comes to my mind. Anyway, so Zophar, who's got a big blue alien head, I don't know. Anyway, Zophar says, he basically talks to Job and he condemns condemns Job for wanting to speak directly to God. Right? In other words, hey Job, like, it's really foolish to talk straight to God. Like, who does that? And even if you do do that, is he actually going to hear your cries and is it actually going to matter and then we got this guy at the very end of the book who just kind of jumps in and like just kind of hogs the whole, um, the whole speech of all these three guys and these, of what they're kind of conversing about God's um, what God is doing, and his name is Elihu. And Elihu is this guy where he just comes in and he just, he just has this air about him where he is convinced that God is on his side. He doesn't let anyone talk. Like if you read the whole one, Elihu jumps into the scene. He doesn't let anyone talk. Job can't intersect. Um, Eliphaz can't, Zophar, none of them can do this. And so he just keeps talking and talking and talking because he knows he's got the answer. He's convinced God's on his side. And he's convinced that he can provide the wisdom to Job that Job needs. And so what El- Elihu basically says is this idea of, um, hey, Job, what you need to be doing is you need to be looking for the blessing in disguise for all the crap that's happening in your life, right? And you just, it's, just, it's there. You just got to look for it. It's among, it's, it's among your sins. God is at work even when we can't see it or accept it. Job, God is good. And, and the wicked are bad. So here's the deal, Job. God can't be bad in, in that case. And in that case, everything is bad. So it must be due to some kind of wickedness going on. So here's what I want you to think as you think about these answers. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that some of these hit you away. I really am. Because they hit me away. And all of these four guys, when they talk, I, there's different things I want to do to each of them of how they respond to Job and his situation. So which, here's the question for y'all right now. Which one of Job's friends' message relates most to the lies that are in your head about how God interacts with you?
1: Can
0: you remind us of the different
1: responses
0: again? Yes, let me grab them from the four. <laughs> <laughs> Page three, I got it, or two. So Eliphaz basically says, hey, Job, if you can admit your sin, then God would restore you. If you just kind of admit that there is some hidden sin in your life that's brought around all this pain and suffering. Bildad says, none of this is God's fault because he is good. It has to be yours. Zophar says, he's the guy that says, why would you talk to God directly? He's not going to hear you anyway. That's a very foolish thing to do, talk strictly to the big guy upstairs, right? Elihu he's convinced. He says, hey, Job. You need to be looking for the blessing in disguise in your life because God is good and He's at work. And even if we can't see it, we, we just got to accept it. So there to the help. Yes.
2: I relate to Bill's dad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like uh,
3: anytime there is a negative thing that happens in my life, I automatically say God hey, is good. So. I have to be hmm And so it becomes, it becomes an internal struggle, rather yeah. than an external struggle with anything like that. Yeah. Looking at myself and thinking,
2: how am I?
1: Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I
2: think for the longest time, um, it was the last, the last one, I think it was written, the who basically yeah, it looks really bad, but but God is good, and so there's good, you know, it's it's really a blessing. Like I know this is really terrible, but it's but it's good. And I don't know, that's just like well, God has to be good and God is in charge of doing everything, so therefore what is happening must must be good. Yeah. And I just can't see that.
0: Yeah. And when you and so when we're saying those messages, how does that how does that make you feel when you're saying that? that message confused yeah confused how does it make you feel when you have that message in your head um I
3: think a lot of shame shame
0: yeah anybody else what's the re- what's the message that you hear most in your head Charles the,
2: who was the first one Eliphaz El, Eliphaz uh okay. the one that says something about just confess and God will restore you yeah um it, I, uh, this weekend, I was thinking. I, I was thinking about it, like reflecting on what are ways that my own spiritual journey is like projected onto others or on the church that I serve, and I'm thinking about seasons within storyline where we um, like push confession really strong. i don't know if thinking of you remember marvelous life way back in the day. It was just like you know, uh, and I think a lot of that's coming out of. Uh, I mean, confession is good. Uh, I think it's a really we do it every Sunday I think it's a very important practice but I think there's a way to practice confession that's like rooted in shame mm-hmm. and that perpetuates shame Yeah. and I think that that's a thing for me that yeah. I'm like and I, you know, I've been involved in a lot of recovery ministry through the year and confession is a big theme of that like, but like, like returning again and again to that okay well so maybe if I confess more, yeah. then God will make me right or fix this or yeah. change things or whatever. Um, anyway, that's what to my mind.
0: How does, when you're just still trying like, you're on that hamster wheel, essentially, how does that make you feel when you keep playing?
2: Horrible? Um, Horrible, yeah. Uh, I, 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 think it, uh, like I, I think it does. Uh, it keep, there's, a, there's a way that I practice it that's kept me rooted in shame yeah. rather mm-hmm. than liberated.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So what Job didn't need at that time when his friends are doing this, he didn't need a sermon from all of his friends. He just wants to really find an answer for his pain. That's all he's asking for. he's just asking for people to listen and see if they can see what's going on. He doesn't and, and here's the thing about Job is through this time. He doesn't need his friends to, like, sway him of an argument because it says in, in Job 1 that he's a righteous man. He knows God. He knows God's character. And you, you can see it. Like, at the very beginning, he, he, he prays and he's all these things, right? So he doesn't need his friends to talk him out of anything or how he feels or he thinks because Job's grounded. He doesn't need his friends to make him feel like poop and judged by his friends. Like, some of the stuff y'all were saying is confused shame, um, and those, and those four, four guys, those four friends, make him feel those things, judge and feel like more poop. And he's probably already sitting in poop, right? Um, and so, and then his friends. This is the part too for me for the support that his friends do. Is his friends say bad things happen to bad people? They don't. They don't for a minute. No, they don't for a minute stop and go. Job's our friend. He's a righteous man. He's a good guy. They just go. Bad things happen to bad people. And they, they, they forget that piece of that friendship of who Job is, right? So they don't even think for a minute that he's a good person, who's just maybe having some really bad, stinky circumstances in, in his life. Instead, they preach their truths to him. And so you see this in Job, that they are continuously, each through their own little lens, through their own personal experiences, through their own perspective of how they see the character of God, that they are preaching their truths to Job. So here's kind of some ways that Job reacts to his circumstances. And I, I feel like in some ways these are some of the things we do. When things, when our circumstances get pretty bad and we've lost our connection with God and we don't want to reconnect with God, I feel like Job, Job shows so us some of these reactions and we can feel more humane and normal. So one of Job's first things is he says, I wish I would have never been born. He even goes to this fact where he says in Job 3, he says, Obliterate the day I was born. Blank out the night I was conceived. Let it be a black hole in space. May God have forget it ever happened. Erase it from the books. May the day of my birth be buried in deep darkness, surrounded by the fog, swallowed by the night. Y'all get the picture, because it goes down in more depth, right? Um, he says, what's the point of life when it doesn't make sense? When God blocks all the roads to meaning. There's been a lot of times in my life I thought that. What's the point? If God just keeps making me hit these walls, then what's the point? And through this process, another thing, and one of his reactions is he's hurt, and he's scared, and he feels betrayed. Because everything that Job believed in chapter 1, you know, we kind of see some of his daily practices and kind of how he lived his life. Everything that he believed about himself and God is all of a sudden being challenged. And he complains to God. Um... He starts complaining to God and just seeking God. So in in Job 24, it says, It's not you I'm complaining to as his friends. It's God. Is it any wonder I'm getting fed up with his silence? And then in Job 17, it says, But come on, all of you, try again. (laughs) You are lousy friends. "I I will not find a wise man among you. My days have passed. My plans are shattered. Yet the desires of my heart turn night into day in the faces of the darkness. Um my turn sorry, turn night into day in the face of the darkness. Light is near. So Job complains. Because sometimes what what else do we do when our when our thinking of God and what we believe about ourselves is being challenged, right? That's something that's a reaction. Another reaction that Job has throughout this book is when he looks around, like the world is pretty wicked at this point. So he's looking around and he's going, man how is it that the wicked are prospering, and the righteous are suffering, and the wicked aren't even getting punished? All the injustice that the wicked are doing, they're not getting punished. It's not fair. So you see, because Job, what he kind of tried to understand, about the side is justice, he wants the wicked to suffer so it makes sense to him and his sense of justice, what he, his thinking of justice is, right? Oh, I've said that a lot to Coy from or places I work, right? <laughs> it's not fair. How is evil still ruling what appears to be ruling here in our places, amongst our spaces? It's not fair. You judge the wicked, God. Stop judging the righteous. Why are the suff- righteous suffering? And so he says this in Job 21. He says, I am not deceived. I know what you're up to, the plans you're cooking up to bring me down. Naively, you claim that the castles of tyrants fall to pieces, that the achievements of the wicked collapse. Have you ever asked world travelers how they see it? Have you not listened to their stories of evil men and women who got got off scot-free, who never had to pay for their wickedness? Did anyone ever confront them with their crimes? Did they ever have to face the music? Not likely. They're given fancy funerals with all the trimmings gently lowered into expensive graves, with everyone telling lies about how wonderful they were. So how would you expect me to get any comfort from your nonsense? Your so-called comfort is a tissue of lies. And then, and then throughout this, too, another reaction that Job has throughout this book is he, he's just not able to connect with God. As his friends are trying to talk to him, he's trying to connect with his friends, he's trying to connect with just whoever he can find to try to make sense of this, but he's not able to connect with God. And he says in chapter 6, he says, Anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as undependable as intermittent streams, as the streams that overflow when darkened by thawing ice and the swollen with melting snow. But that stops... But that stopped flowing in the dry seasons and in the heat vanished from their channels. Teach me and I will be quiet, Job says. Show me where I have been wrong, how painful are honest words. But what, are your, but, but what do your arguments prove? And then in life sometimes Job, Job at 1.2, he says, you know, he's sitting around with his friends and, and he says, you know what? I had some good, good old days. Remember when I had all this and that and that and my kids and we were all doing so well. There was so much favor. It just seemed like life was easy and peaceful and we were a coherent family and everybody was getting along and everything was just great. And I was smiling all the time and I was laughing. I don't have bags under my eyes. And so Job does what, what we do. He wants to go back to the good old days, back to the days of favor and blessing when he's just been through, when he's just had so much of this hard time, right? Sometimes we go through so many hard seasons and we're like, God, it's about time. When are we going to go back to the favor and blessing? Because I'm over this. This sucks. He says, how I long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamb shone on my head and by his light I walked through darkness. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendships blessed my house. When I went to the gate of the city and took my seat in public squares, the young men saw me and stepped aside, and the old men rose to their feet. The chief men refrained from speaking and covered their mouths with their hands. The voices of the nobles were hushed, and their their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouth. Job remembers those days. And he's desiring for those days to come back. And so here's my question to you. Out of all of these different reactions that Job has throughout this book and through his journey of trying to connect with God again, which one of Job's reactions can you relate to the most?
2: And it can't be that you're God,
1: it can't be that hard. Yeah.
0: That's good. Yeah. So the point is, is, Job has these reactions. He has like eight reactions. If Job can have them, we can have them regardless of what culture says, regardless of what church culture says, when, when we don't feel connected and we don't feel safe from God and we don't have that, those positive interactions, like, according to Job, Job gives me reason to be like, it's okay. So another question for Alice: what have been some good or maybe not so good interactions that you've had with God? And I'll tag on to the next question. How has that shaped the trajectory? I used to be we y'all. I looked it
1: up. How has that,
0: how has, how has that shaped the tra- trajectory of your relationship with God? Maybe some of your good or not so good interactions with God.
3: That. So I'm remembering, um, I was, I came, I came to the same 23 years old. And I fell the ministry and took went to Bible college, met a neat lady, a lot of romance, blah, blah, blah. They're engaged, blah, blah, blah. And then along came another fella who seduced her and she dropped me and married him And that Satan. And then other bumps, major bumps in my life in <coughs> the next two years. And when I found myself in Caroline, Texas, in country town, that was I then, in that future. And what worked for me was get out there and walk those country roads and crash it off and cuss up and tell him all of my stuff with every word that I knew. Now, I was a pagan, so I knew that. I knew how to, I could talk a talk. I mean, I could talk a the history of cursing and I was a man of God. And, and I worked it through. And, and, I mean, I'd walk one, two, three hours mm-hmm. and cut out peaceful. And then I'd, no I'd come up and go no talk to God. And I tried to do that thing around the apartment so I can't call it God. I Mm-hmm. and so we'll you it you know and, and we're back to I came to know appreciate and respect God's character like you said his character hasn't changed can't change you know and bad things happen to good people and, and this guy was a that's to my fiance, and that was not even really fun and I uh, so mm-hmm. thanks
0: So now for the part where George, George, I don't know who that is. Job.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm thinking of my dog Jordy. and I'm like Job, Job, Job. Okay. Job's healing everyone. He's got a breakthrough, y'all. If you really look at this, and this is where I think that Job has this really great way of. We can learn that he is in a great example of how we can find inner healing. Um, from our, from our um, relationship with God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. So the very first thing, some of the very first things he starts to do, he's hearing his friends, right, and all this stuff. The very, this is what I love about Job. He just is just so great. The very first thing, he talks to his friends, and this is what he says. I have heard many things like this, but you guys are miserable comforters, all of you. <laughs> Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? I will also speak like you if you were in my place. Or oh, wait, I, could, I, would, I also could speak like you if you were in my place. I could also make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But my mouth would encourage you, comfort you from my lips, and would bring you relief. And so again, Job, that's that idea. of Job is just trying to find answers and comfort from all that pain that he's feeling. So he knows that his, his, his guys are horrible comforters. And in this moment throughout Job, he, then he starts to make a decision to connect with God. And that's important, y'all, because he makes that decision to connect with God, and sometimes we just got to make that decision. And he begins to speak honestly um, to God. He starts a conversation, essentially. Because he's thinking, he's like, man, these guys, if they're not giving me any kind of good information, maybe if I talk to God, he can shed some light and give me God's perspective that will help me maybe shed some light on my circumstance. He says, um, God, that you must search out my faults and probe after my sin, though you know that I'm not guilty and that no one can rescue me from your hand. But I desire to speak to the Almighty and to argue my case with God. How many times do we say that? How many times do we feel like we have um, the courage to do that? To argue my case with God. Mm-hmm. Romans says we're co-heirs, y'all. The same God I read about and the same Jesus I read about and the things that they did in the Bible, we're co-heirs to that authority. So he says, I desire to speak to the Almighty. Number one, how how much do we desire to speak to the Almighty? And how much do we ever say, I want to argue my case with God? Who, has the, who do we say that to? I don't know. if so there's a lot of circles I could say I want to argue, argue my case with God. Your maxims are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Please, God, I have two requests. Grant them so I'll, I know I'll, I count with you. First, lay off the afflictions. The terror is too much for me. Second, address me directly so I can answer you. Or let me speak and then you answer me. God, how many sins have been charged against me? Show me the list. How bad is it? Why do you stay hidden and silent? Why treat me like your enemy? Why kick me around like an old tin can? Why beat Why? Why beat a dead horse? You compile a long list of mean things about me, even hold me accountable for the sins of my youth. You hobble me so I can't move about. You watch every move I make and brand me as a dangerous character, like something rotten, human life, fast composing, like a mocking shirt of a mildew blouse. Have we said these things? Do we dare say these things to God? Joe did. He started the conversation because he said, my friends can't help, so I'm going to go to God, and I'm going to get some God perspective. Because the humans with their limited knowledge don't know. So I'm going to try God. God. But here's also what comes with this is you know, conversations with God, being honest with God, they they can be scary, right? There can be some doubts. Like I, I was never taught in church to be that honest with God. I wasn't. Or I say, God, I'm gonna argue my case. Bring it, let's talk about this, right? I was never taught I could do that. So that's really scary. And in Job with Job too, it comes with doubts to start even start an honest conversation. Job he still wants to hear for God or from God, but he says, even if he try even if I try to approach God, his case would go unheard. And even, if, and even if I went to God for justice, nothing would change. So he wants to start the conversation, but he still has doubts. And so I think with us, it's this idea of, like, it's okay. We are afraid to start the conversation, but, like, Joe, we can have doubts about it. It's risky. It's vulnerable. Y'all get ready for vulnerability in a couple weeks. That's a fun topic. Um... But he still presses on to reach out to God because, again, when you have felt all those feelings and you feel you have, you have heard all the dumb cases that your friends or your support system is giving you, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And so he tries to escape from their words and he reaches out to God. And Job, Job knows this. When I start being, He knows that when he starts the conversation and he starts being that honest with God, there's going to be some intimacy, intimacy levels that he's scared of. Intimacy is a really big thing. Again, it's got a lot of vulnerability baggage behind the that, And intimacy has risks, right? How many times, like Job, Job says in, in chapter 23, he basically says, what if I do hear from God? Like, what if I actually bring my case to God and he answers me? But what if I don't like the answer? Right? So sometimes it's not only like, it's not only like we don't want to connect with God because we don't feel Him. It's like I don't want to connect with God because I'm really scared of the answer He's going to give me. I'm really scared of the calling that God is going to put over me, the anointing, the blessing, whatever the the heart, the hardness. Like, no, Kara, you got to stay here for a little bit longer in the in the in the ashes. Cool, guy. You know. And so and so yet. The healing breakthrough that we can learn from Job is Job still, he directly addresses God, and he is super honest with God about his troubles um, and his talks with his friends. Here's what it says in uh, Job chapter 30. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly with the might of your hand, and you attack me. You snatch me up, and you drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death to the place appointed for all the living. Surely no one lays a hand on a broken man when he cries for help in his distress. Have I not wept for those in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? Yet when I have hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then darkness came. So he's really honest with God, y'all. He just, he just spills whatever in his heart. And he's honest with him, And that's a huge breakthrough because there's that connection and that's where it starts. To beginning to have um, a positive interaction. So at the end of all this, God confronts, God confronts God, or God confronts Job. And here's what God does: He confronts Job. He doesn't. He doesn't bash him. He doesn't say anything. He just. Says, he doesn't give their, He doesn't give any explanations for what's happening to Job. He doesn't even defend himself for all the conversa- um, through all the conversations that people are having about him, right? Like he said, you know, it's kind of like people are in the, in, you're at a party and people are talking about you, but not be talking directly to you. Like God just doesn't address that with what's happening between Job and his friends. He doesn't talk about why, why the tragedy is happening. And he sure as heck doesn't take time to justify himself in front of Job's friends and what they said to him, about him. But what God does do... he talks about how everything is in his hands can you pull can you pull in leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope no one is fierce enough to rouse it who then is able to stand against me who has a claim against me that i must pay every that i must pay everything under heaven belongs to me So, so Job and God have this conversation where Job, where God doesn't condemn Job. He doesn't say, why you little baby, right? He didn't do that. So in that sense, God creates a safe space for Job and God to have a conversation. Because when we feel like we're being judged or we're going to get screamed at, that's not a safe place. But when we were allowed, we have a space where we're allowed to feel all our feelings and be super honest, that's a safe place. And that's a positive interaction. Joe felt seen because God came in a whirlwind, in a tornado, whatever, that, whatever the commentary says. Um, God came to him and they had a conversation. And I think sometimes, I don't know about y'all, but for me, I forget about... That, that God that, there's, that there are a lot of God Little G's out there And there are a lot of beliefs out there But there's one that, But Job reminds me That there's a God Who will come to me in the silence And in a storm And he will come and talk to me And so through this, Job Through this conversation Through this connecting Through this honesty Through this going What do you think, God? What's going on? Tell me Tell me what's going on God reaches out, or Job reaches out to God and inquires his perspective. He chooses to start to see God's perspective, and he starts to walk away from all of his his atmosphere of, um, he shifts his atmosphere into God's perspective in the heavenly realms of what's going on. And he takes aside all the self-pity, all the accusations, all the self-doubt. He leaves that behind. He chooses to shift the atmospheres. So real quick, um, well, you know um, let me ask this question: What are some barriers that keep us from starting a conversation with God, reaching out to God?
3: There's I mean, a the whole thing that people say. That usually, they're afraid to really turn their whole will over God, spirit God, because they're afraid of will sin of Africa, you know, a sin to a place that will be unpleasant, or you know, get the best out outside your comfort zone of all things, you know, or that again, a lot of our perceptions of God are colored by our worship with our dad. So if mm-hmm. our dad was an angry, raging person like my dad, then you're afraid that if you open a can of worms, you're just going to get shatted down. Mm
1: -hmm. Or how about you're speaking in the answer, and there is none. Yeah. There have been times, too, in my life where I already know that there's something I need to give up or something I'm doing that I really need to stop. Like, I know that Mm -hmm. And so that oftentimes makes me avoid God and avoid those conversations. Not because I feel like he's going to yell at me or anything like that, but it's like I know that he's the giver of wisdom. (laughs) And, you know, so a lot of times when I already know things, but I'm not ready to face them, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah.
3: where I was convinced God was leading me somewhere to um, find out that it may have been more a projection of my own pathologies. Mm-hmm. And so, it makes me hesitant sometimes because I'm wondering, like, okay, I could give myself to this pursuit. Yeah. And is it just going to be a pretty sneaky ninja projection of myself? Um, or will it be believing of God, but for
0: me has been really hard to so. Yeah. Yeah. Job says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is, it, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so it's this idea of, in Romans 8, it talks about living by the spirit and not the flesh. And I think that this Job really shows us how we begin to seek the spirit um, and live in the spirit. To be connected to God, to feel seen, safe, and satisfied. So before we go, we're going to take a few minutes. I'm going to walk y'all through something. Um, So if you would, close your eyes for a minute. We're going to try this exercise. Um, It's one I use to help people um, connect. Um, So close your eyes. And what I want you to do is um, picture a place you feel safe and secure and at peace. Go there right now. And take a minute to be in that place, taking its smells, the scenery, the temperature. What kind of feelings that this place is evoking for you? This place of peace. want you to do is there's there's god and there's jesus and there's holy spirit that make up the godhead and i want you to what is the one the particular member of the godhead that you feel closest to and the one that you feel closest to invite that part of the godhead to come into that safe place with you say Godhead please come and join me in this space and, and where, where is this part of the Godhead how do you sense them how do you feel them how do you view them now I want you to ask whatever part of Godhead is with you in that safe place say Godhead what do you think of me having a hard time getting a response say Godhead is there any barrier that's keeping me from believing what you think of me and please reveal that to me what they're saying to you, how does that make you feel? they looking at you? How are they embracing you? Where are they standing? And now I want you to take a moment of telling that part of the Godhead that's with you in this safe place what you think of them. I want you to say, Godhead, when my life is trouble and I don't feel connected or satisfied, can I come back to this place with you?
1: And what do they say?
0: Thank you for being a God who meets us, who sees us, who knows us, who wants so desperately for us to feel safe in your arms. God, I pray that each um, spirit that is in this room, that you bless their spirit to come to know you in such a way, that you reveal yourself in such a way that Job did how Job did it. Give us the desire to connect with you, to start conversations with you, to be brutally honest with you. Help us to overcome any lies or barriers that stand in our way from being that close to you. Because the things of this world and the flesh is not what matters, but a life in the spirit with you does. And may we always remember that. And now I want to leave you with this. God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be. Because nobody is as they should be. Um, anybody real quick want to talk about how that experience was for them? Did they hear anything? So like you don't have to believe, just hear, right? Yeah, that's good. Because that's still you still stay connected that way.
1: Yeah,
3: that's good. Yeah. So um, I talk to my brother in St. Louis about uh, every week or two for an hour or two, and uh, we've been very close. Thank God. And so and so I first see Jesus as my brother. Because I can be totally transparent with my brother, I can be transparent with Jesus. I feel that. Like I know that. And I know that anyone cares about me, and nothing. There's no secrets or nothing to hide. And so, get your shot by a innocent.
0: Like... That's good. Yeah. Um. So I do spiritual direction, and that's part of my my whole connection is connecting people with God, um, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and how to make them. Make people more aware of them, the Godhead in their life on a daily basis. And so, um, if that's something that you're interested in, this is the what the exercise, exercise that I did was a part of that that I do with people. Um, and so, um, this just came at good timing because Job just speaks to exactly what um, what I'm trying to do with spiritual direction. So, if at any point at anybody is interested, individuals or groups, um, in your, or if you're even still curious about it, you're like, care, what the heck was that? Or what was, you know, all that mumbo jumbo bleh stuff come talk to me we can have more of a conversation about um, what spiritual direction can look like Um, thanks for allowing me to talk today y'all that's all I got